Some battles last a long time, don't they? Um, God's been speaking to me um, recently uh, from that one of the songs we sung this morning, Psalm 23, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, but the version that we've been singing recently. And I particularly want to spend some time this morning talking about that. It feels to me as if sometimes as, as Christians we can... Well, we can approach the word victory with um, almost like it's a dirty word. It's like almost something which is overused in some, some areas of uh, the church. And so we kind, of, we kind of shy away from talking about victory. We don't want to be super spiritual, in other words. We don't want to talk about things as they're all settled and done, when actually we know that we're still fighting But here's the thing that I felt God to speak to me about as we were singing and learning that new song. Is that you can't have a victory. The word victory is meaningless without a battle. It is is pointless to say that I live a victorious life if I'm not daily fighting battles. Um, And... um, You know, just just sort of unpack that a bit. You know, I mean, I, I think... I suppose, on the other hand, I don't really like struggles. I kind of decided that if I was designing the world, I wouldn't put them there. I reckon that really struggles are a bit of a pain, and it'd be much easier to just get to where you want to go. You know, when when I'm in my car and I meet traffic on the way, that should not be there. It's a bit like that in life, isn't it? Um, You know, why did it take the people of God 40 years to do the journey of a few weeks? It's something that the doulies asked me, you know, just as an offhand throw, you know, throwaway comment at the end of a doulos session. I thought I'd try and cover that in a couple of minutes. See, what I think is that in, in this, I felt God talking to me about, is, is that the process is so significant. The process is what prepares us, refines us, and shapes us. And those are three different things. The process prepares You're not the same after a struggle as you were before. The struggle refines you, gets rid of bits that don't belong there, gets rid of the rubbish that still stays. And it shapes us so that we're ready for the next thing that God has. Jesus is the great victor. The cross was not a defeat, but a victory. When Jesus died on the cross, that was ultimately, and we'll come back to this, but that was ultimately him saying, Not my will, but yours, Lord. Sometimes we see victory the wrong way around. We see victory as when everything's going right. And actually with God, sometimes that isn't isn't how it is. The resurrection comes because of his victory on the cross. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. And it's for that reason that God raised him to be at his right hand, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So after years of being um, the, family, uh, the family sick one um, in my house, I'm generally the one who seems to suffer from ailments. Uh, brothers, I hope you appreciate that this is always true, isn't it? Our things are worse than our wives' things, always. Um, they don't understand how we suffer. They really don't. Um, 
And, um, you know, I've had, you know, dodgy back and dodgy hips and various bits and pieces. Um, what, you may not, what you may not know, my, my other half, Christina, has had a health issue that's needed some operations to put right. It's certainly not life-threatening, um, but the process has been tough because she doesn't get ill. And uh, so it's been tough for her, and then by proxy, it's been tough for others of us. More tough, John says. Yeah, absolutely. Following that argument I presented, brothers, it's been tougher for me, hasn't it? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's been tough because we don't know quite where things are going to finish up. And so she's kind of usurped my position of the family sick one. Um, and, uh, and we've been really supported by others, I should say. But we've had to draw on God as well because there's bits that only he can do. And in the midst of that battle, the fear of what the treatment was going to be like, what things, how things were going to be, we were introduced to this song. And um, I just want to spend a little bit of time, just, on, just at the start, I'm going to look at, look at the words with you, and then we might come, we'll, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see where we go, because we've already had the song today. I mean, one of the fun things I want to say is this is a new song, but it's an old song. 3,000 years ago... Um, King David wrote Psalm 23. And, um, and it is a psalm that is the most amazing psalm because it, it speaks to us in the darkest places. It speaks to us when we don't really know where to turn. And yet it celebrates something that's so much more. So if we look at these first four lines, the Lord is my shepherd, he goes before me, defender behind me, I won't fear. I'm filled with anointing, my cup's overflowing, no weapon can harm me, I won't fear. First of all, there's a message there about how we respond to when, when we're, we see things that might disturb us. We only need a defender behind us when we think someone might be going to stab us in the back. We only, we only, we only need to have, uh, be told that weapons won't harm us when others around us might use them against us. But in the midst of this, I'm not alone. He's my comfort. He holds me close. Why, does, why is that so important to know at this time? Well, because... I, 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 I'm, I'm just uh, leave that there for a moment. But why do you think it is that we, we are reminded of this? Now, for 2,000 years, this thing called the church has been motoring on, and we're part of this one. We do not read prayers together, praise God. But we do sing songs together. And our songs are kind of like a, what might have been called something called a liturgy. Really, there are kind of things that are true about God that aren't, aren't the Bible, but they're things that help us to learn about him. And that's one of the reasons why I want to look at I think songs are really important. Because when I'm... I remember having an argument once with a, with a guy who used to be in charge of the church I was part of about written prayers. I might have told you. Sorry if I, I'm getting old, so I repeat myself. But I remember having an argument with him about how you could never read a prayer. It was always... It was never meaningful to read a prayer. Um, and I said, it's always, I, when I speak to God, I just want to speak to him like I speak to my brother. You know, I want to, well, not my brother, but my father, but I want to speak to him 
I want to speak to him. I don't want to say someone else's words. He says, ah, but when I'm on the top deck of the bus, I don't quite know what to pray. And a prayer pops into my head that I've learnt. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be thy holy name. As those words are going through my brain, and I'm remembering those words, I'm able to, to, to kind of connect in a different way. I said, and I didn't really get it at the time, but what I have noticed, and I'm coming back to this, is that songs do that to me. Some of our songs do that to that. I never really got it about liturgy. Not really, although actually sometimes I do. Sometimes I do when I've got very long memories of things. But some of, my, some of the songs we sing do that. They pop into my head and suddenly I'm, I'm taken to another place. In the midst of the battle, I want to know that he holds me close because I don't always sense it. I don't always feel it. And... He promises to take me through mountains and valleys. Now, I don't know what mountains and valleys mean to you, but I'm going to explore those a bit today. Mercy and goodness give me assurance that I'll see his glory face to face. The destination of this journey that I'm on is set. I know where I'm going. I'm not alone. We didn't sing these lines this morning. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me. My victory my victory. It's been really quite rough the last sort of little while in our house. Those particular lines have really spoken to me. Your spirit lives within me so I may walk in, my pe- in your peace. Your spirit lives in me so that I'll never experience any difficulty in my life. Your spirit lives within me so that I will always be surrounded by quietness. Well, it does say walk in your peace. What I think that's about is about something which God is going to do to us in the midst of battle. So these are the four things I've particularly picked out I'm going to talk to you about. His spirit lives within me so I can walk in his peace. That we're burdened but strengthened. There are these things called mountains and valleys. And ultimately, that we're destined to overcome. And I want to take each of those bits and talk about them a bit. And I'm hoping that when I finish, you'll feel like I've made some sense to you. So... His spirit lives within me so I can walk in his peace. You know that anywhere that peace is lacking, the enemy's at work. When we don't have peace about something, it's an opportunity for the enemy. We may be in the wrong place, or our heart may be wrong. But a lack of peace is something which is really important. We need to do something about it when we lack peace. Peace, is a, the Bible says, is an umpire. The peace of God is an umpire, something which tells us whether we're in right or whether we're in wrong. So wherever there's peace, anywhere there's lacking of peace, the enemy's at work. But God's spirit is here this morning if you're lacking peace about anything. And I believe that victory, true victory, comes when we embrace God's spirit and we live in him. Um, Faced with uncertainty, my wife likes everything sorted out as you may know. Um, that's why I live with a twitch. Um, but she likes, she, likes, uh, uh, she likes everything, you know, orderly, and to know where we're going. Um, and uh, I like to know where we're going when we're driving, 
which is why the sat-nav saved our marriage, I'd just like to say. <laughs> but, but in life, we like to know where we're going. We like to have things planned out. We like to know what we're going to be doing, well, not just tomorrow, but, you know, a little bit further ahead than that. And so not knowing generates a huge amount of angst and, and so on. But those lines, his spirit lives within me, so I can walk in my peace, in his peace. I, I literally saw the peace of God just descend as we prayed that together. Whatever you lack peace about, confess it to God and he will deal with it. Jesus on the boat, of course, slept in the storm. It's the story of the guys going from one side to the other and he's fast asleep and the disciples are all convinced they're all going to drown. And, you know, and he says, they say to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And he is fast asleep. I think what there's a... We've said it lots of times, but let me just say it's become more real to me in the last month or so that victory actually is kind of being able to sleep in the boat in the storm. It's not getting rid of the storm, necessarily. Jesus stood up and he quietened the waves and everything was dealt with. And that's the way I've always heard that story. But when, when I was thinking about what, what this psalm is about and what this song is about, it started me thinking that even though I walk in the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Even though there might be this noise going on around me, the victory is actually, is actually living in that peace. Jesus said, I'm leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It is a peace that the world cannot understand. The disciples did not understand what was going on. Jesus promised us to have peace, even when we don't know where we're going. Last week, no, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, can't actually remember, I had Tim help me with some boxes. Was it two weeks ago? Sorry, it's the age again. Two weeks ago, we were messing around with some boxes. Can you remember? We had like some big boxes of of stuff, and and I made Tim look a bit like that, because he had a pile of, a big pile of boxes, which I labelled with different things. And they represented things that he was carrying into the meeting. And I think we had health, we had wealth, um, we had uh, what others think of us, status. And we were carrying all this stuff. You see, we can feel burdened sometimes because we're carrying stuff that isn't for us to carry. Jesus' promise is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can be carrying stuff that isn't ours, and that's one of the reasons why our struggle can be bigger than it needs to be. It's easy to say. If I put down this box, who is going to look after it? If I put down my family, who's going to look after them? If If I put down that concern I've got at work, how am I going to get through it? If I put down that relationship that is just not quite working out, how, how am I going to... I've got to sort it out. Sometimes God's saying, let me carry it. Always God's saying, let me carry it. He wants to take it all. So we can be like the poor girl on the left or the bloke on the right. We can overcome. We can overcome because everyone born of God overcomes the world. And that's the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith.
So I talked a bit about mountains and valleys, or the song talked about mountains and valleys. In our journey with God, we know that we're on a journey. We know that we are on a pilgrimage. We have places of nearness to God, places of a plateau, a place of, of closeness, a place of where we're so aware of him. And I believe that's what the psalmist means when he talks about the mountain. That place where you can see really clearly unless you've climbed to the top of Snowdon and the cloud has come down. But if you've, if you've climbed to the top of a mountain and it's a clear day, you can see a long way, can't you? But sometimes we're in a valley and um, we, we, we just can't see so well. Really, we just want to get out of the valley. Well, I believe that God gives us both because of this thing that without, without a victory... Sorry, there's no victory without a battle. You know, there's no testimony without a test. And Jesus said that we should take up our cross daily. So there's no crown without a cross. Victories don't come by accident. We have, to, we have to really determine to lay things down before God, to give them to him, and to, 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 to rest in that place of peace. Okay, I mentioned Satnav. I love Satnav. Um, I wouldn't be without it. It's so much fun just being able to drive and not have to read the map. For people above a certain age, or below a certain age, you would have no concept of what it's like. I remember, I remember going, when I was teacher training in Canterbury, arriving in Canterbury, having just learned to drive, trying to drive around the one-way system in Canterbury with the map next to me. I mean, let alone, people say operating a sat-nav is dangerous. You should try map reading and driving at the same time. That, that, is, one, that is one crazy thing. Map on the on the seat next to me. So I drive around this wretched one-way system, and you'd, and I've missed the turn again. I think, oh, I've missed the turn. I pull off. I read the map again. Right, how many is it? Is that many? And then you drive around again, and there was a, probably all these local people scratching their heads, thinking, oh, that's another student in the car. Satnav is a wonderful thing. We we kind of set up the destination, and he adjusts. Well, it tells us the best way to get there. We can choose the fastest way and we can choose the shortest way, can't we? We can choose a way. If we're really smart, we might have a sat-nav on our phone that will help us to avoid a queue. I think that, that particular route I liked because there was a queue. And look, if you go right and then you go left and then you go left, you're going to avoid that queue. The free ride, you know, is an amazing thing. Sometimes there can be more than one route. And we can get offered, I think my sat-nav does this now, so it says, did you know you can save two and a half minutes if you go that way? Would you like to take the alternative route as you're, as you're driving along the road? Now, this is an analogy which is a little bit weak, but I just want, want to say it. In my life, God has ordained that there would be a sat-nav for me, and that is how he speaks to me. And he's set up where I'm going. I'm going to see him face to face. That is definite, because he saved me. And it's not based on what I do. It's not, based on, it's not based on anything that I could change. He's chosen that Jesus should die in my place. He's chosen that Jesus should die in your place, so that when we get there, we will see him face to face. What a fantastic God we have. That destination is absolutely definite. But you know, sometimes you can get to a junction and you can go wrong. You can do that with the real sat-nav. I did it on my driving test once. He said, I'd like you to go straight once. I didn't pass that time. 
So they get up to this roundabout, and he says, go straight over the roundabout, but the left turn looked straight onto me. So I went left. And I ended up in an industrial estate with lots of lorries whizzing around me in the middle of my test. Even though we wanted to follow the right way, I'd gone the wrong way. And I was no longer where I needed to be. But I had someone next to me to say, what you need to do is you need to do a turn in the road, and we need to go back to the roundabout. And sometimes God helps us in that way. He, he helps us to do that U-turn. Yeah? I'm destined to be something, to be someone. So how do I become who I'm destined to be? Well, on the, on the good hand, on the one hand, Paul writes in Philippians, I can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. So that destination that's set on my sat-nav, that's going to that's gonna work, Right? But sometimes we can go the wrong way. But do you know what my satnav does when I go the wrong way? It gives me a new route. And, and God is not a machine. But you know, if I do go the wrong way, we're going to look at the story of Peter in a minute. We'll see how he actually, sometimes he even knows we're going to go the wrong way. He says, I want you to go that way, but I know you're going to go the way. <laughs> it doesn't say the but to us. And he's prepared. God's guidance system is grounded in relationship relationship with others, the people he puts around us in the church, I believe that that's really important for some of you today. You're looking to see what God wants you to do in a situation. You've got to know that it's not just about you sensing what the right thing to do is. It is about being in community and hearing what the community, what your leaders say as you share it with them, the people that care for you. Now here are five W's which may work about how we hear so I think he guides us by the word. I think he guides us by the witness of the spirit. He guides us by wise counsel. That's the advice of those who care for us. He also guides us by our own wisdom or even common sense. And finally, I had to think of another W. Do you like all the Ws? So this one is circumstances, but I decided to change it into what's in my hand to do. Look at that. Straight there, five Ws. Look at that. Things around me, yeah? And, and you know, these are things that God does. He always guides me in mountains and valleys. That's what we're talking about. These are the things that God does to help us. Some of you know that at Christmas I was um, encouraged to, to read the Bible in one year. I've mentioned it nearly every time I've spoken because I'm still doing it. Yes, yes. There goes my reward in heaven. But anyway... <laughs> But I'm enjoying it, actually, uh, really enjoying it. And, and I think it's really interesting that at this time, when there's been a little bit of a valley, I've had the word. That even when I haven't heard God quite so clearly sometimes, he's been feeding me with his word in a way that he hasn't done before. And I know others have spoken to me about how the Bible has really helped them when they haven't necessarily sensed what God is saying and you know, if you're trying to hear God on something, we do have the complete word of God in front of us when we hold the Bible. We have the revelation of God the right there. And he will speak to you through that. That is not second class. That's not somehow, oh, well, he would have spoken to me directly, but I'll just have to read his word today. No, no, when we read the word, the scripture is God-breathed. It speaks life into us, and he helps us. Okay, so... I talked a bit about the destination. Um, so is it, is it destiny 
Or is there something that my will has to do that decides where I end up? You know, there is this... If, if you ever reach out to Muslims, they're really, really big on the, the sort of destiny of God. You know, like that the, the everything is ordained. God ordains everything that happens. When, what I believe is that somehow in his wisdom, God has given us two very clear things. He's given us a free will so that no one has an excuse when we do things wrong. And yet somehow, he's also given us this thing, which is our destiny, that no one can change. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. I'm going to look at it as an illustration. Uh, two cars in the car park are discussing, hey, Jerry, do you believe in free will? As opposed to what? Some kind of guiding force that commands my every move? No, I'm pretty sure I'm in control of my own destiny. Uh, I have to go now. Jerry is so smart, says the small car. Um, the driver's got in and driven the car off. It's not really that funny, but I just thought I'd share it. Just, <laughs> it seems to appeal to me. Perhaps I found it easier to identify with being a car than the rest of you. No, sorry? Which what? There's only one person there. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's only one, yeah. Uh, I, think it, I, think, I think, to be honest, it's probably... Again, it might be something to do with my marriage as well, that's what I was wondering. Um, but I definitely have free will, most of the time. I can get away with so much today, being really naughty. Um, at the, so at the heart of... So, hmm, have you ever prayed for anything? See, at the heart of prayer is this tension. If God never changed anything when we prayed, we'd never bother praying. And yet at the same time, we, some of us talk about prayer as being picking up what God wants to do and praying it through. Because otherwise what God wants might not happen. But God always gets what God wants. And then we end up in this kind of, this sort of confusion. Well guys, what I want to say to you is it, it's both. It's, it's both. And I'm gonna show you why I think it's both. So this week I've been reading Luke 22, or might have been last week, and reading Luke 22 um, is the Last Supper, uh, is, is that point in Jesus' life, and it's the point when Judas decides that he's going to betray Jesus, and then Jesus sits and he has a meal with all of his disciples, including Judas, and he breaks bread with them. And I want to look at a particularly um, this conversation because this is something that really stood out to me. They've been arguing over the meal about who's going to be the greatest. And, and Jesus says, look guys, you're the ones who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on you, on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But then he turns aside and he speaks to Simon, Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, 
you will deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you know me. Now, I've read that story many times, and there's something that I've underlined that I'd not noticed before, and that is that Jesus prayed for, for Peter. This is not just a sat-nav that picks up when we go the wrong way. This is, God's love for us is such. He knows when you're going to make a mistake, and he prays for you that despite that mistake, you will turn back again and find him. What an amazing God he is. Right there, he's allowed, or Satan has been allowed, to test Peter. This is the same Satan that entered Judas and caused him to to betray Jesus. And yet, here we see that Jesus prays for Peter. And Peter becomes the main leader of the new church. If you've made a mistake in your life, you know that Jesus is pr- knows it's going to happen and he's praying for you that you find a way back. I don't believe we catch him out. And when I say a mistake, it might not even be a conscious mistake. It may be stuff that has happened to you. Something has set you off course. It might even be the action of another. But Jesus prays for us that we would find the way back. I realised in my head, I felt like Jesus prayed for me when I succeeded. And that's, that's kind of what he was conscious of. Jesus prays for me when I fail. <laughs> he prays for me before I failed, knowing I'm going to fail, that I would find a way back. So is that, is that free will? Luke 22 continues. Jesus said, and it's written, he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yeah, What was written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Jesus is clear here that something has to happen to him. He has a destination that he has to get to, and that is the cross. But he goes on to pray. I've skipped out a verse because it's not relevant to the story that I'm talking about. Jesus went out then onto the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray you don't fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw from them and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. Jesus was not some puppet of a destiny. He was not just being carried along by the events that were around him. Jesus has, was always, is always in command. And he chose to go God's way. We have that choice to go God's way. Sometimes it results in maybe hitting more traffic on the sat-nav, or maybe it results in more struggles. But you know, it couldn't be written more clearly in that first verse that really Jesus is, just, is fulfilling a prophecy. It's, a desti- it's like a destiny that's been set for him. And yet he is praying in the now about having a choice. So I want to encourage you that you have choice. The enemy would seek to box you in. I remember one time, I I think I spent a whole Sunday talking about choice. Choice is the thing that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, remember. It's the thing that makes us people rather than animals. We can choose how to live. I mean, why, why in all that creation would God make a tree that we weren't to touch? It's so that we could choose not to. And the enemy would want us to believe that we don't have a choice about it. But choosing to go God's way is always the option. It's always an option. Victory may not 
be the outcome you want, but it might be peace regardless of what happens. So what about us? So that's so we've seen that Jesus prayed for Peter. We've seen that God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus when he prayed. Well, I just, I just want to finish, really, by, by looking at, at some of Romans 8, which is where God took me next. And I just want to underline some certain things again, because he always guides me. In Romans 8, verse 26, we read, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have, called, have been called according to his purpose. I've underlined two things there, particular things that stood out to me. The Spirit continues to do the thing that Jesus did for Peter. I want you to see that. I don't want you to see us as being lots and lots of people of whom you are an insignificant part. What Paul's writing here is about knowing that the Spirit intercedes for him and includes you. He sees where you're going and he prays for you. And he's praying through us. In these last few weeks, there's been times when I don't know, I have not known what to pray. There's not been words that would help. But sometimes that groan is what we need. And the groan comes from somewhere else. So, you know, there's lots of Bible though. I'm just going to, I mean, this, this, whole, this whole thing. Destination. For God foreknew, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's you and me, guys. You today, if you aren't following Jesus, he has this for you. You can be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Life is not always plain sailing. We face many troubles. But whatever you're facing today, God's in it with you and praying for you. See, what shall we say in response to all of this? If our God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who has raised a life, is at the right hand of God. And he's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, high or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. See what happens when you look at where God prays for you. This is, this is what he is praying for you. 
in the mountains and the valleys. He is with you. He is promised he will be there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's where I am. That's my little, that's my little thing. That's what that song has made me think about. And um, maybe this morning you feel like Peter, that you've let him down in some way. That somehow there's something that you got wrong. It doesn't, you know, God wants you. God loves you. He's given his best thing for you in Jesus. And he wants you to come back. The satnav can cope. It is not, say, no available route, like it used to say to me sometimes when I was on a particular campsite I won't mention. You know, there's always a route. And God has designed that his maps go everywhere. Maybe you feel like you're in that valley and, and God just seems a long way away. I, I want to encourage you that he is there. And sometimes he's holding you and not saying anything. And that's not meant to be trite. Sometimes there aren't things he could say that would make it feel better. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and God is in it with us.